Welcome to Retro Rewind, Pinal Central's new sports-themed podcast, where we talk to former Pinal County athletes and discuss memorable moments in local sports history. This podcast is brought to you by Casa Grande Jewelry and Pawn. We have been nominated in the top three jewelry and pawn store in the greatest of the grande. We bring integrity, honesty, and quality customer service. We are a family-owned business and operate and treat our customers like family. Customer satisfaction is always our number one priority. Come in and visit our store and check out our amazing inventory on guns, jewelry, and so much more. You can also start your Christmas layaway now for only $5 down. We are located at 13 1326 North Pinal Avenue in Casa Grande. Our hours are Monday through Friday, 9 a.m. to 6 p.m. and 9 a.m. to 5 p.m. on Saturday. Our phone number is 520-836-7774. Hi, everybody, and welcome to another episode of Retro Rewind. I'm your host, Brian Wright, and I am joined by my co-host, Maria Vasquez, and our guest today is Shane Dale. And Shane, uh, a few years ago, back in uh, 2014, 2015, he actually was a reporter uh, here with us at Pinal Central. He went from there to be a sports reporter for ABC 15 in Phoenix. And um, then Shane decided at some point that he was going to write a book on the Arizona State versus U of A football rivalry. And... uh, so we're here to talk to Shane about uh, uh, his book, and uh, he actually has a, a second book out on the rivalry that uh, that just came out. So Shane, uh, thanks for joining our program today. Not a problem. Good to be with you. Okay. Well, let me start with um, when did the seed get planted for you to write a book on the football rivalry between Arizona and Arizona State? Well, I, uh, you know, you can probably relate to Brian, at least at some point, most journalists can at some point during their, their careers. I was uh, sort of in pre- uh, freelance purgatory for a while, uh, way back, probably about a decade or so ago. I had a uh, couple freelance jobs, a part-time position, and was just trying to scrap together a living. And I thought, well, you know, if I really want to get noticed, I, I need to do something sort of interesting and, and maybe what people will consider impressive. And I was trying to think of a, a book subject. And, you know, I love the rivalry. I love the ASU Bay rivalry. I went to U of A myself. I've been to the last several games, and I feel like it's one of the most underrated rivalries. And I still think it's one of the most uh, underrated rivalries in the country. So I thought it might be fun to uh, dive into that. And uh, I'm glad at the time I didn't realize how much work was going to go into it because it was uh, a two-year process from uh, beginning to end. Um, but was able to get a lot of great player and coach interviews. I did about 150 altogether. Uh, and uh, in 2013, was able to publish Territorial, the History of the Duel in the Desert, which uh, encompassed, or at least attempted to encompass the rivalry all the way from the first game in 1899 to all the way through about 2011, 2012 at the time. Uh, and so that I got that out, and that, that, you know, I self-published it, self-marketed it. There wasn't a big, you know, the publishers were, didn't think it was going to sell much, and I understand because the rivalry is very well known, and I wasn't very well known. Uh, so I, I did a self-publishing route, but went and did that, and uh, it opened up some doors for me. People seemed to like the book, and people seemed to think it was a fair and balanced assessment, even though I'm a biased wildcat. So put that out there, and then uh, you know, decided to, to put together a sequel here of sorts uh, pretty recently. Uh, but yeah, I, I, I'm. It, w- it was a fun project, even though it was a long, tedious project at times. A lot of interviews, a lot of transcribing, a lot of edits. Uh, 
but it was uh, it was worthwhile, and I'm glad it's out there, and I'm glad that the, the second book is out there now too. So you know, you mentioned that it took about two years from start to finish, and uh, I think a, a couple of questions on that is that number one, did you have any idea of how long and difficult the process was going to be when this idea first kind of germinated in your brain? And uh, secondly, uh, how how much more difficult was it maybe than you anticipated? Uh, a simple answer is is no for, to your first question. I didn't know. And like I said, I'm glad I didn't because I might not have gone through with it if I did. Uh, it, it's a long process to put together a book and uh, one that encompasses so many years and so many games. Uh, you know, I, I certainly use other people's uh, – uh, you know, I, I use other books. I use newspaper uh, reports. I uh, did interviews with so many players. I, you know, I talked to a guy who played before before and after World War II, uh, just as an example of how, how far back. I went, um, so it, it was quite an undertaking. It was uh, it was difficult. Uh, I there are still things that I wish I had focused on more. Things I've learned since then. I, oh, I wish I would have em- emphasized that more, put that in the book. But you know, hindsight's twenty twenty. But uh, but yeah, it was uh, it was a long process, but it was a good one. It was uh, you know, it got a lot of uh, local media attention. Like I said, opened some doors for me, and uh, ended up selling about fifteen hundred copies or so to date, both paperback and Kindle. And uh, you know, like I said, uh, you go on uh, Amazon, you look at the reviews. And uh, you know, both ASU and UA fans uh, seem to like it. You now, it was high praise from ASU fans saying that the book appeared to be unbiased and down the middle, which I tried my best to do. But you're just never sure about you know being from one school or the other. So uh, it was uh, it was. I'm glad I was ignorant to how much time and effort was going to go into it uh, when I started it because I might not have seen it through. But I'm so glad that I did. Uh, I'm glad you mentioned the whole concept of trying to remain objective while writing this book, because clearly, like, you know, you mentioned you're a U of A graduate, obviously a U of A fan, but I think that, you know, when you're a journalist, you you kind of have that training uh, of how to kind of remove yourself and, and be that kind of, uh, you know, objective uh, observer to, uh, of things. So can you kind of talk about how, you know, your background as a journalist, um, but then you also being a U of A grad and a U of A fan, how you were able to kind of, you know, push through that and present things uh, just really evenly uh, down the middle on this. Yeah, well, I think it helped that I, aside from the whole you know, part of you know, being a journalist and trying to be objective, the fact that I, I grew up in the Valley, I didn't really have a dog in the fight growing up. You know, my brother went to ASU, but, you know, I was never that invested in one school or the other. I, re- I was one of those weirdos that actually wanted both schools to do well. I was, you know, I rooted for both football teams. I rooted for both the basketball teams. You know, I, I remember I rooted for ASU when they went to the Rose Bowl in, in January 97, and then I rooted for UVA to win the championship in men's basketball two months later or three months later. So, uh, you know, I, I, I grew up not really having a, uh, you know, having a partisan interest so much. I just wanted to see all the Arizona schools, both pro and college, do well. Now, when I went down to UVA, things changed a bit, and I – don't get me wrong. I want to see U of A win that game on Friday and have bragging rights just as much as any Wildcat fan does. But I think that makes it a little easier. Plus, you know, like when you're in journalism mode, like, uh, you know, the 2018 game, Brian, uh, when ASU came back and down 19 and in the fourth quarter and came back and beat U of A, it's, uh, you know, I, as soon as the game was over, I was on the field getting video on my phone and putting stuff up uh, on the web because that was my job at the time as sort of a digital journalist. And so I didn't really think about it at the time. You know, it wasn't until I, uh, 
started driving back home uh, from Tucson and, and you know, I, I had time to think, I'm like, okay, well that just sucked. You know, <laughs> I didn't, I didn't I, you know, I had time to reflect on it. Cause you know, I, I love, you know, after, you know, like the 2014 game, which I also covered in the press box, uh, you know, I, I, I was sort of objective about it at the time, but when I got home and was able to unwind, I was able to go back and rewatch the game and sort of enjoy it as a fan. So, so I, I think it's, it's, it's not easy, but it's, you know, something I'm used to, to kind of, you know, putting one, taking one hat off and putting the other on. And like I said, I've never, even though I want the Wildcats to eat ASU, I want that, those bragging rights. I've never been a Sun Devil hater. All right. So Shane, this is coming from, from somebody who graduated from Arizona State. Um, you know, this is like the longest standing rivalry in college football. Um, going back, you know, doing all your research and everything, what's a moment that really surprised you? Well, it's funny because there's so many off-field moments that define this rivalry, and I think that's one of the things that makes it unique, and one of the reasons why it is the most in, intense in the country, according to different uh, research, independent research has been done. Uh, you have so many off-field incidents from, you know, even Kevin Sumlin on uh, on Monday, I had a chance to be part of his uh, press conference because they're all on Zoom right now, so I was able to do that from home, which is kind of nice, and just take a break from my, my day job and like my lunch break and go, go hop on Zoom with Kevin Sumlin's Q&A. And uh, was able to, uh, you know, ask him like what he's learned about this rivalry, you know, both you know on and off the field. And he mentioned Chuck Cecil. Chuck, he, he talked to the team uh, this past weekend. Uh, Chuck Cecil, one of the best players in UVA history, and, and, and made the biggest play on the UVA side in rivalry history in '86. He talked about a time where uh, ASU quote unquote kidnapped some UVA players back in 1937. And that uh, led to uh, U of A not playing ASU for several years uh, because they were, they were very upset about the whole thing. Uh, so you have things like that. You have um, the, the prop 200 battle. I don't know if you're all familiar with that, but when, uh, you know, ASU was trying to become ASU, trying to become a university, and, and the proposition was put on the ballot in 58, and UVA wanted to remain the only university in the state, and they vandalized Sun Devil Stadium ahead of that vote and burned no on 200 into the Sun Devil Stadium grass. Uh, there's all kinds of stuff like that, along with some on-field stuff. You know, there have been some fights on the field. There have been some fights during the games, after the games. So that's the kind of thing that makes it unique. And then beyond that, just the, 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 the lore of the Territorial Cup trophy itself, you know, it, it was created. 1899, after they when they first met, but it wasn't originally given specifically to the winner at that game. It was given to ASU for winning the the conference, such as it was at the time. Went missing for over 80 years, and just in 2001 began to be used as the official uh, trophy for that rivalry game. So uh, you, you throw in the, the the territorial cup trophy, which is the nation's oldest rivalry trophy, even though it wasn't used as a rivalry trophy for a long time. You throw in the off-field history, and it's just fascinating. And it's, and it's things that I think a lot, even a lot of ASU and U of A diehards don't know about. All right. Now, there's a lot to unpack there from what you just said, but I want to focus on the Territor Territorial Cup trophy itself. So you said that this goes back to 1899, but however, it, it really hasn't been the official uh, trophy of the winning team in this rivalry, but only for about the last 20 years. So what was the history of this trophy from, you know, 1899 up until uh, right around 2000, 2001, whenever it became uh, the official uh, trophy of the winner of the rivalry. 
Yeah, so it was created in 1899 for the winner of the, uh, I think it was called the Arizona Territorial Football League. And that's actually inscribed uh, onto the trophy itself. And so that was given to ASU after that, that season, and they went however many games they won. I can't remember off the top of my head. In fact, there was some more research that was done just a few years ago that showed they actually played more games that year than originally thought. You're digging through the newspaper archives and everything else. So it wasn't given to ASU for winning that game, but there's a famous picture of the team, the 1899 Tempe Normal team, uh, in front of the, the old main building in Tempe uh, with that trophy. But it went missing, uh, like you said, it went missing for just a little over 80 years. Uh, no one knew what happened to it until it was randomly found in a uh, church basement in uh, in Phoenix in 1983. And it was returned to ASU and kind of hopped around on display at the university for a while. And then uh, the university decided um, going into Super Bowl 30, which is going to be held at Sunnyvale Stadium, it would be cool to, you know, put some stuff on display at the Sky Harbor Airport as people were coming in. And so they put the Territorial Cup trophy out there, uh, you know, in the case for people to, to see as they were uh, going through the airport. And there were some U of A alums. I'm still not sure how the U of A alums recognized it necessarily, but they recognized it. And, and that's, and they contacted the university and said, hey, or they contacted ASU and said, hey, can we, uh, can we display the trophy down at, uh, down at our university? And, uh, ASU, ASU's archivist politely declined, but that's what got the, ball rolling and got the two universities talking about, okay, maybe we can actually make this trophy into a rivalry trophy and give it to the winner of the annual football game. And so that began uh, in 2001. They created a uh, replica trophy. The two schools collaborated on creating a replica trophy that the players could celebrate with on the field because uh, the, the original trophy is old. It hasn't been, I don't think it's been touched by human hands in a long time. So the trophy you see on the field and the trophy you'll see on Friday with one team and the other celebrating with is the replica. Um, and, you know, the, that first year, 2001, it was the first time that um, that the trophy was actually given to the, specifically to the winner of that game. Juve won that game. And then right after the game, I don't know if you remember, Brian, uh, Clarence Farmer running back at U of A and got the rest of the Wildcats to uh, dance and stomp on the Sparky logo in Tempe in the middle of the field. That led to a big melee on the field and a big brawl. It's one of those, you know, one of the biggest, you know, most controversial moments in the history of the rivalry. And there was going to be like an on-field presentation of the Territorial Cup trophy, and they just scrapped that because, you know, all had broke loose at the end of that game. Uh, and so going forward, they just give the trophy sort of on the side. There's no big presentation specifically because of that. So uh, that is about as tight a nutshell as I can cram it. I know I didn't do very well with that, but uh, that, that's the, the brief history of the Territorial Cup trophy itself. So so just uh, one additional question about that. So is it um, the whereabouts of that trophy for over 80 years? Is that still a mystery? Yeah, no one knows how it ended up there. No one, no one living anyway, you know, because it, you know, it went missing for that long. Presumably, the person who placed it there, you know, it, that that's all, you know. There's no that that's a cold case, you know. There is no tracing how, you know, how that how that went. So unless you get, you know, Doc Brown to build a new time machine and go back to 1899 and, and figure out how it happened, it's uh, it's going to forever remain a mystery. Okay, so you know, I think probably one of the things that inspired you to write this book was that you felt like. This is a rivalry that doesn't get discussed as much as it should. Um, it, it doesn't maybe have the same sort of, you know, national um, – it doesn't reverberate nationally like, you know, say uh, Ohio State-Michigan or uh, and uh, Alabama-Auburn, some of these other rivalries. So um, why do you think that this particular rivalry hasn't gotten maybe uh, more respect nationally and um, – 
what is it about this rivalry that really maybe people don't understand uh, just how how intense it is and why? Well, I think the easy answer to your question, the first question, is the fact that rarely are both teams very good at the same time each year. You know, rarely is either team in contention for a national championship. And usually if one team's very good, the other is, you know, you have to you go back to 2014. That's the last time both teams were ranked at the same time when they played each other. Before then, it was 1986. Uh, so a 28-year gap. Um, and so, like I said, you know, Rarely is it like Michigan, Ohio State, or Alabama, Auburn, where a national championship or a chance to play for a national championship is regularly on the line for the uh, for the winning team. So that's part of it. And then I, I think in terms of the rivalry itself, I think a lot of people, you know, you live out of state, you don't know much about it. You just assume, oh, well, you know, they live in the same state. That's a, you know, so that must be the reason behind it. And well, yeah, that that's a big part of it, obviously. But you go back to a lot of the off-field stuff and a lot of the animosity between the two schools and what I like to call a uh, a mutual condescension because uh, I feel like U of A fans, students, alumni kind of look down as ASU at ASU as academically inferior. You know, they started out as a teacher's college. They didn't become a university until 73 years after U of A did. And so there's that part of it where it's just this idea that, that ASU isn't as, as sophisticated as, as U of A. And then on the ASU side, I think they look down on Tucson. You know, it's as much Phoenix versus Tucson as anything. You know, Tucson used to be the hub of the state and Phoenix Tempe sort of took over. And I think, you know, ASU fans and alumni like to make fun of Tucson as much as uh, as anything else. You know, like uh, Danny White, a, a former ASU quarterback, one of the best to ever play at ASU. One of the things he said, his uh, his father, Wizard White, who also played for ASU, said is if they gave uh, the world an enema, they'd stick the tube in Tucson. <laughs> so they... So that's how you. That, I think that's how most ASU fans feel about Tucson. I, I have a different opinion. I went down. I lived, went down to school there, and I like Tucson a lot. But I've lived in the valley most of my life, so I sort of get both perspectives. But I feel like there's this condescension between the two schools where they just don't respect each other. You have the history off the field. Um, you have some of the melees on the field, and I, I think it all adds up. You know, you throw the rifle trophy in as well, and it makes it more fun. But yeah, you throw in all those things, and it really is different than just about any other rivalry in the country. Well, you know, since Maria is a, an Arizona State uh, alum, I will uh, let her kind of address that whole issue and maybe ask you a follow-up question on that. Um, so, Shane, you know, you mentioned the animosity and everything from, from the games back in the day, but now, you know, yeah, there's still some intensity on the field, but but it's not really, you know, what, what you're describing from, from back in the 80s and everything. Um, what do you think has kind of changed that atmosphere? Are you talking about in terms of the uh, the animosity now compared to then? I didn't quite. I'm sorry, I didn't quite catch what you what you're asking. Yeah. Um, well, I, I, I think a, a lot of times, like back in the in the 70s and 80s, the the game meant a little bit more in terms of the winner. There were bigger stakes. You know, the 75 game. Uh, I, to me, is the best game in rivalry history, um, in the history of this rivalry anyway. Uh, just because, you know, ASU and Juve were both ranked high. I think ASU was eight, Juve was 11th or something like that. Uh, ASU was undefeated. Juve had lost just one game. Uh, Juve had just broken ASU's nine game winning streak in the rivalry the year before. And it was a game in Tempe and it was a sold out stadium from, you know, the players I talked to said they were dueling ASU and U of A chance. It was a great game. Juve took the early lead. And then the most iconic play in ASU history, uh, known as the catch, John Jefferson making a great diving catch in the end zone 
for an AFC touchdown at the end of the first half to cut into Juve's lead. That switched the momentum of the game and, and, and went into the second half and allowed ASU to come back and win. Uh, so you had a lot of memorable games and in the 80s. That's another thing about this rivalry, too, that makes it unique that I didn't really touch on is the amount of upsets you get in this game, you know, where the records really don't matter, as cliche as that sounds. You go back to the 80s in a, in a period that U of A fans know, know as the streak, the nine-game unbeaten streak over ASU from 1982 to 1990. Most of those years, ASU was the better team. At least they were on paper. They were on record. Uh, but U of A kept beating them. U of A knocked them out of the Rose Bowl twice uh, in 82 and 85. And then in 86, when ASU finally got there, they clinched a Rose Bowl berth before they played U of A. The U of A went in and whooped them anyway. Uh, so... It, you have a lot of incidents, and you know, it's, it usually when there's an upset, it's a, a U of A team upsetting an ASU team because ASU usually is a better team uh, in any given season. But you go, you know, there's so many uh, moments. You know, in 2004, uh, 2011, 2016, those were all games that U of A would appear to be a very bad team and had no business winning, and they won. And and this year kind of shapes is shaping up to be the same way. It doesn't mean U of A is going to upset them again, but if it, they did, it would be kind of a classic, uh, you know, upset of. Uh, over a better, at least a seemingly better ASU team that's favored by double digits. So, um, Shane, my question is going to kind of be a follow-up on Maria's question, uh, talking about the intensity of the rivalry. Um, you know, from her perspective, it's maybe not as intense as it once was. Um, what's your take on that? Uh, do you think that the rivalry is as strong today as it has ever been, or do you think it's uh, diminished at all? I, no, I think it's as strong today as it's ever been. I mean, I, look, I, I wasn't around, you know, back in the 70s and 80s, so I don't really have anything to compare it to. But it just seems like the animosity is still there. Now, this year is kind of different. It's just it's a weird season. It, it, it could barely call it a season. You know, as few games as both teams are playing, especially ASU, this is only going to be their third game of the year. And neither team's won a game. So it's a little down this year. You know, in hindsight, I, I might have uh, – I might have published this book next year because <laughs> all things considered, but uh, no, I don't. I don't necessarily agree with that. Although that might be an area where I might not be the best person to talk about it. But I just I, all I can say is all the players I talked to, and it didn't really seem to matter what year. You know, there are guys I talked to from the who played in the '60s, and the '70s, and the '80s, and the '90s, and all the way up until now, who would say almost the exact same thing, which is. I had no idea how intense this game was until I actually played in it, or I had no idea how intense it was until I stepped on the other team's field for the first time and felt that vitriol among the fans. So I don't think it's died down at all, just based on what the players have told me. That you know, like like Demario Richard, for example, in my newest book, uh, running back for ASU, who played in four games against U of A. You know, he had no idea. He told me about it. he had no idea how big the rivalry was until he stepped on the field in that game in 2014, and the, all the fans were wearing red. It was a red out at Arizona Stadium. All the fans were going crazy, and then they hit him like, holy crap, this is a big deal. Um, and just a lot of the, the, the taunts and a lot of the things that, that fans will say to players as they go by. Another example is there's this fence at ASU at Sun Devil Stadium that was just uh, – scrapped because of renovations, but up until recently, there was this fence that opposing teams would have to cross to get from the locker room to the field. And for you, when you came to town, ASU fans would always line that fence and yell things and throw things, yell obscenities to, to the players as they walked by. So I, I don't, I, you know, again, I'm going on what other people are telling me, 
based on the conversations I've had for both books, I don't think the intensity of the rivalry has died down a bit. I, I wish that the game meant more on a regular basis, uh, but in terms of how much it means to fans, I don't think that's changed at all. Okay, so you interviewed so many players on both sides of this rivalry over the years, and I'm wondering if there was one one interview, or maybe it was a couple, that you know you they they just really stood out because of of maybe something the person said, uh, uncovering some nugget of information about the rivalry that you didn't know at the time, something that you were just like, whoa, like you know, something that really stands out. Oh gosh, there are a lot of examples. Um, it, it's funny that the number of people I talk to who, you know, I, I know only, almost all these interviews are phone interviews, but the number of people I talk to who said like they're getting, like I'm getting worked up right now just talking about this game because they're getting because it, it just meant so much to them. Like there was a uh, U of A kicker I talked to uh, who made a game-winning field goal, and he was talking to me like how he, you know, while he and his family were walking through Home Depot or whatever, and he said, "Gosh, but I'm getting all worked up in the middle of the story here talking about this game." <laughs> Because it, it meant so much to them. Um, I, I really liked, and part of this might be because I am a biased Wildcat, um, but the 86 game talking to both uh, Chuck Cecil and Jeff Ann Raphorse. Chuck Cecil, the uh, you know, defensive back for uh, for U of A, and then uh, Jeff Ann Raphorse, the quarterback at ASU. Um, and it was the most iconic play on the U of A side in that game where Chuck Cecil returned a pass thrown by uh, Jeff Van Rappel. He intercepted it and returned it over 100 yards for a touchdown. And that sealed UVA's win over ASU that year and gave ASU its only loss of the season. And getting both of their perspectives on that play. It's one of the only time in that entire book, my first book, that I kind of just like let both players just like word for word, like go on for a bit and just like not cut it up was, was that moment. Cause I said like, here's Chuck Cecil's recollection of that play. Then here's Jeff and Rapport's recollection of that play. And so, you know, they both obviously had very different uh, perspectives on it and, and different feelings on it. And then uh, Jeff and Rapport told me later, you know, he had a, um, for like a, whatever job he was working at the time, he had to get like some big marketing presentation and he had a PowerPoint ready and his coworkers decided to prank him. And so, so when he turned the PowerPoint on, it was video of that play of Chuck Cecil uh, returning the interception on him. So that was something that was fun that I don't think anyone knew about. Certainly I didn't know about going in. So and that's what I tried to do for both books is really share more of that off field stuff, the anecdotal stuff, you know, what was going through players' minds while this happened or after this happened? Because, you know, if you're a U of A or an ASU fan, there's a good chance you remember a lot of what happened on the field. So I wanted to give a perspective of things that happened away from the field or, uh, you know, after or before a game. And it was a, a lot of fun getting those kinds of stories. But that's one in particular that stood out. Now, the new book, which is the second book that you've written uh, on the rivalry, it's called uh, Rich Rod versus Graham, Six Years of America's most intense rivalry. Um, now, other than the obvious, in the title, focusing on the two coaches, um, what was the inspiration for this book, and how did you come at this book differently than the first book? Well, it, originally, this book was going to be a, sort of an add-on to my first one, you know, just maybe like an extra chapter and sort of repackage it in a way. Um, but when Rich Rodriguez and Todd Graham were both fired after 2017, I took a step back and thought, well, they're both there at the same time, the same six years. They coached against each other the same six years. They used to coach together. They have that off-field his or that that history together as coaches, and they you know they reportedly don't care for each other very much either. So you have that subplot. And then you add on, you know, the the 
the title, you know, six years of America's most intense rivalry, people might look at that and be like, okay, come on. It's really not the most intense, right? But there are two separate studies, and I mentioned this at the very beginning of our conversation, two separate, very different methodology uh, studies conducted by professors at various universities who came to the conclusion based on interviews and questionnaires with fans around the country that ASU versus U of A is the most intense rivalry in the country in college football, and in the case of one study, the most intense rivalry in all of sports in the United States, both pro and college. And one of the main reasons for that is because, uh, and based on the, I talked to the professors who, who put together the studies, uh, one of the main reasons seems to be that you know, ASU and U of A are sort of on an island here. They're the only two FBS football programs in the state. There's no other nearby football program. You know, UNLV is the closest from Phoenix, like five hours away, and then you have the LA school six hours away. So they're very, very natural rivals. So, you know, you take like Michigan or Michigan and Ohio State, yes, that's a bigger rivalry nationally and a very intense one, but Michigan also has, you know, Michigan State, you know, the other Big Ten schools. Alabama, Auburn, that's a big one, but Alabama also has LSU as a big rival, you know. So the rivalries are sort of split up a bit, whereas Arizona, in terms of rivalries, all of Arizona's focus is on ASU and vice versa. So you throw the, you factor that in to everything else with that I you know I already mentioned as far as the off-field history, the territorial cup itself, uh, the upsets, you know, the, the unpredictability, the unpredictable nature of the rivalry. That's what makes it uh, most intense. So I was able to sort of take a different angle and make that a separate book, not only because of you know the Rich Rod Todd Graham. A dynamic to it, but because of these new studies that showed that this rivalry is actually the most intense, or as, as one professor liked to call it, the most focused in the country. All right. So, uh, you know, looking ahead to the, this season's matchup, um, you mentioned both teams are winless, and then, you know, this whole talk about intensity and the atmosphere that's created. At the stadium, you know, the fans uh, uh, play a big part of that. Um, I can attest to what you mentioned out at uh, uh, Sun Devil Stadium about fans throwing drinks and everything at the uh, Wildcats when they're going back to the locker room and everything. But with the pandemic and everything, um, it's just going to be the players in the stadium. So, you know, just what kind of uh, atmosphere do you expect from that? Yeah, it'll be a little weird. Um, I, I, it's going to be really more of a neutral site game, you know, even though it's in Tucson. Um, ASU is getting the better end of that deal for sure because, you know, like I, I mentioned, uh, you know, talking to other other fans, you know, basically you look at it, you know, 20, the 2019 game was in Tempe, so ASU had a home field advantage in that one. 2020 is going to be more or less a neutral site game. 2021, hopefully we get fans back in the stadium will be an ASU home game. So really in a three-year span, you're going to have – two ASU home games and a neutral game. So that kind of works out to ASU's favor. But I do think there are certain advantages to being able to play at home. You get your own amenities and, and you get a, you know, more familiarity. But I think it'll be kind of weird, you know, that you're not going to have that intensity. You know, I think, you know, when um, U of A, U of A's uh, first game of the season against USC was a very close game, you know, and, and U of A had the lead late in the game and USC scored a late touchdown. You know, that's a classic example where, you know, the fans, you know, screaming at the top of their lungs could have made a big difference and helped U of A potentially win that game. So uh, I think there's no doubt that since this game was a, is technically a home game for U of A, it's the advantage to ASU because you don't have to worry about those fans. You know, they always think they have U, ASU fans always make the trip down there as well, but it's still mostly a partisan U of A crowd. So uh, I, I think it's going to make it a little weird. I don't think it's going to 
make the game any less intense on the field when they get there because, you know, most players on both sides know about the rivalry or they're, you know, the, the new guys will be told about it by players and coaches. I know uh, Kevin, someone had, uh, is having a bunch of former UVA players talk to the team this week about what it means to, to win this game. And I'm sure uh, Herm Edwards is going to do the same thing at ASU. Um, so I don't think in terms of intensity on the field, it's going to make much of a difference, but you know, in a close game late, uh, if you know, ASU has the ball with a chance to win the game, Juve not having that home field advantage could definitely work in ASU's favor. So Shane, looking at the rivalry, just during the time that uh, Todd Graham was at ASU and Rich Rod, was at U of A, we're talking um, 2012 to 2017. Um, clearly, both of those guys disappointed in their roles as head coaches. Both were fired uh, after the 2017 season. Um, but I think you'd have to say, even objectively, that Rich Rodriguez was the bigger disappointment. Uh, am I right about that? And um, what was, do you think, the biggest reason why Rich Rodriguez just wasn't able to get things done in Tucson. I, I I'm not sure I agree with the premise. I mean, certainly, you know, both guys get fired. It's hard to argue that they didn't get the job done. But I think you know, you look at Todd Graham's record there. You know, they they went to the Pac-12 South Championship in 2013. They very nearly did it again in 14. They uh, they went six and three in the conferences last year. There, when the year they weren't supposed to be very good. Um, I actually. I, I, it's hard for me to say just because I think ASU generally is a better football program. I think they're they're more well-respected nationally than Arizona is on the football side of things. And I don't think there's an excuse for ASU not to be a top 25 team every year. So from that perspective, I think you could make a bigger case that Todd Graham didn't get the job done. Uh, but Richard Rodriguez certainly, uh, you know, he had some momentum coming into U of A after, you know, Mike Stoops because Mike Stoops very methodically turned around the program and made it attractive, attractive enough job for a guy like Richard Rodriguez, who was the biggest name in college football for a while there. You know, he almost took the Alabama job, uh, and ended up going to Michigan and obviously that didn't work well. But, uh, yeah, I, I, the 2014 season was great. But yeah, the rest of the time, overall, he had a, a below 500 record. Uh, in the Pac-12, so it was a very mixed bag. I think most UVA fans would love to have him back at this point when you consider what they're on the losing streak right now. Um, but I, I, I think my thing, and we've talked about it on, you know, I have a UVA podcast that I do as well. I think the best way to go for a program like Arizona, which is not, you know, not a top tier FBS football program. It's just not, you know, and it hasn't been for most of its existence is to go with a, a, a young up and coming coach who's hungry for the job and sees it as a promotion rather than sees it as a demotion. Like I, like I think Rich Rodriguez probably did. And like, I think Kevin someone does as well. You know, Kevin someone's still counting his money from his buyout of Texas A&M. And uh, I, I think that that level that, tends to, to show in, in, in Arizona's record. So I, I think that's just part of it. I, I think Rich Rodriguez did a decent job. I think he could have done better. I think the recruiting could have done better. I don't know all the answers to why that didn't happen. I think he did a good job finding some diamonds in the rough, like Scooby Wright, who was way under-recruited, ended up being a you know maybe the best college football player of the year in 2014, won a lot of national awards. Uh, but I think you know Arizona's next hire, I think, should be someone who's young, and hungry and sees this job as a great opportunity to coach a power five program as opposed to, you know, like, like Rodriguez or Kevin, someone who sees it as just like the, the, you know, it's the best job available and I'll do the best I can. Okay. So um, my, my last question here is going to be basically about um, the two current coaches. Now, when these two guys were hired, 
Of course, we're talking about um, Herm Edwards at ASU and Kevin Sumlin at U of A. Um, I'll admit, I thought that U of A got the best of this. I thought that Sumlin was clearly the better hire. It has not worked out that way, uh, not even close. Um, so what, what is your take on the path that both programs have taken since the hiring of those coaches? Yeah, it's fascinating because, you know, it was a completely opposite perspectives. You know, I think Ray Anderson, ASU's athletic director, took a gamble and he said, you know what, we're not going to, because he had lofty goals. He wants ASU to be a top 15 team every year. And there really isn't no, any reason that they shouldn't be at least a top 25 team every year. They just, they're, where they're located in the history of the program, they should absolutely be. But I think he recognized, okay, we're not going to get there by just hiring the next biggest thing. We need to go completely out of the box, and that's why every that's why he hired Herm Edwards, who he knows well, obviously, and why everybody think he thought he was crazy for doing so. Um, but it ended up being, um, I think, a shot in the arm for ASU, even though this year is disappointed. I don't necessarily think you can count this year against Herm Edwards because of everything that's happened. Um, but I think that's one of the reasons it worked, along with the fact that Todd Graham was, to be blunt, a micromanager, and Herm Edwards is the opposite. I think it was a breath of fresh air for the ASU football program in retrospect. Um, U of A went the opposite route. They, they just hired the biggest name, you know, and I think that's that was a mistake, you know, clearly now by Dave Heakey, even though, again, hindsight's 2020. Um, he went out and hired the biggest name as opposed to necessarily the guy with the, who's the best fit for the program. Um, and the guy who, again, I think looks at this as a demotion. I think Kevin Summon looks at this as like, we're privileged to, to be in his presence and, and, and that he's, you know, he's already arrived and, you know, and things are going to get better once he has time to get, get things in order. But I, I think again, you know, basically Dave Peaky replaced one guy who got fired from his last job with another guy who got fired from his last job. And I think that you, that's one of the things in the, in the, the transition, I think the transition from Todd Graham to Herm Edwards on the ASU side was healthy because it, like I said, it was a breath of fresh air for the program. I think the transition from Rich Rodriguez was a very intense coach to Kevin, someone who's more laid back, just didn't mesh well with the current players there. And right now you're in year three where you have some of the old players still there. We have some of the newer guys, but they're all young and still learning. He hasn't recruited well. The, the recruiting classes have been toward the bottom of the Pac-12. So you don't have a lot of um, a lot of top talent there, and you look at next year's recruiting class doesn't look to be that much better. So you know Arizona might be stuck with Kevin Sumlin for a while just because of how much it would cost to buy out his contract. In fact, Arizona doesn't have that money. But um, even though it's kind of crazy to think that the Herm Edwards hire has worked out a lot better than the Kevin Sumlin hire has, you go back and you think about all those things, and, and you realize. It really isn't that surprising in that there was a method to Ray Anderson's madness, and maybe it was the right way to go. Well, as we wrap things up here, Shane, why don't you tell everybody uh, how they can get your two books on this Arizona-Arizona State rivalry? Yeah, so the first one, uh, Territorial, you can get that on Amazon right now. It's on barnesandnoble.com as well. Amazon's the best way to get it, you know, especially if you have time, you can get it the next day or two days later. Uh, as far as the current book, the one I just put out a couple months ago, Richard versus Graham, uh, you'll be able to get that one on Amazon in a couple months, but if you want to get it right away, you want to get it as a Christmas gift, right now you can get it exclusively on my publisher site, Mascot Books. And so that's mascotbooks.com slash Richrod versus Graham. You can also just go to Mascot Books and find it there in search. But if you want to go directly, the link is mascotbooks.com slash Richrod versus Graham. Again, if you want to wait for it to come out on Amazon, it'll be available there in early March. Um, but if you want to get it as a, as a Christmas gift or a holiday gift, then you go to Mascot Books and get that right away. 
Okay, well, Shane Dale has uh, given us a lot of great information on this uh, historical rivalry, and uh, I guess data shows it is the most intense rivalry in the country. Um, so, Shane, uh, thanks again for coming on our uh, program and uh, being able to talk with us about your books today. My pleasure. Thanks a lot for having me. I appreciate it. This podcast is brought to you by Casa Grande Jewelry and Pawn. We have been nominated in the top three jewelry and pawn store in the greatest of the grande. We bring integrity, honesty, and quality customer service. We are a family-owned business and operate and treat our customers like family. Customer satisfaction is always our number one priority. Come in and visit our store and check out our amazing inventory on guns, jewelry, and so much more. You can also start your Christmas layaway now for only $5 down. We are located at 13 26 North Pinal Avenue in Casa Grande. Our hours are Monday through Friday, 9 a.m. to 6 p.m. and 9 a.m. to 5 p.m. on Saturday. Our phone number is 520-836-7774. There you go. That's it. That's it. Thanks for listening to Pinal Central's Retro Rewind Podcast. Remember to go to PinalCentral.com and our Facebook page to access future podcasts. We are also available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and your favorite streaming services. We will catch you next time.